You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Welcome to Leadership Night. It's April 5th, 2023. Glad to see you guys. It's a thin crowd this week here at Leadership Night. I know for those of you that are watching online, it doesn't make any difference to you. And those of you, I know a lot of you are listening to this podcast later, and I'm grateful for that. I appreciate it. Um, and I've heard from a number of people lately that um, don't go to church here, but they listen to the Leadership Night podcast, and I appreciate that. So I just want to say thank you guys for joining us. Appreciate you. And um, yeah, if you've never been to Leadership Night before, if you're new listening or watching this, basically we will talk through some leadership ideas for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then we will um, just walk through some practicality, how to apply these things in our lives, and what does that look like. So um, so I'll pray, and then we'll jump right in tonight. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to share some ideas and share some principles that can change our lives. And so, God, I just pray that we would um, we would take the nuggets, take the things that you drop into our lives tonight. And I pray that we would see ways to apply them in our leadership, whether it's in our home, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, community, whatever it might be. I just pray you would bless us as leaders so that ultimately you could be blessed. So have your way with us in Christ's name. Amen. So um, a few weeks ago, well, actually in the month of February, my wife and I, we were in, um, we were in Arizona. No, California, almost like Arizona. We were in California for a pastor's gathering, and there were pastors of some of the largest churches in America there, and we were invited. They felt bad for us, so we got invited to go. And uh, so there are pastors of these gigantic churches in the room, and you may have heard of a guy named Rick Warren. He pastored a church in California called Saddleback Church for years, and uh, he recently retired. Um, and Rick wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, um, which was huge bestseller. And so Rick was supposed to be the speaker for this event. And I was, I'm, I've heard him before, but I was excited about hearing Rick. And the, the day of, they got up and said, hey, Rick is ill. He couldn't be here. So, um, but we're really excited to have Ray Johnston with us. I'm like, I've never heard of Ray. I don't have any idea who Ray Johnston is. And so I Googled him and looked. I was like, oh, he pastors a big church. So I was like, all right, we'll see. And then he shared for about an hour and a half, no notes, just off the top of his head. And I was like, this guy is brilliant. And so uh, that day I looked up, um, looked him up on Amazon and found he'd written a book and I read the book and um, I shared a few of the thoughts with our staff uh, just earlier this week. But um, he wrote a book that I would encourage you to take a look at even for people that are not believers, there are, there are principles there that are helpful. But he wrote a book called The Hope Quotient. And basically what he talks about is this idea that we measure intelligence, IQ, we measure emotional intelligence, EQ. But he talks about this idea of hope being something that leaders desperately need. And the thing that really made me think about this book was uh, on Monday of this week, I... Um, I was driving and I thought about a pastor that used to be in my life and he had left the ministry and he was, I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years. And so I just called him out of the blue and said, how are you doing? What's going on? And we chatted for a little bit and it was such a depressing phone call. 
because he was so discouraged. Um, he had no hope for the future. Um, it was like he was surviving, he was breathing in and out, but there was no vibrancy or vitality in him. And uh, he knew what he needed to do, but he just lacked the ability or energy or whatever to move from here to there. And, and I told my wife later and I told our staff Monday night that, I mean, he was so discouraged that he was just wiped out basically. And it just made me start thinking, and I thought a lot about Ray Johnson's book, that we as leaders, um, so much of what we do is based on how our hearts are. Um, are we encouraged or not? Are we leading with encouragement? Are we hopeful? Because um, if we are, if we have hope, that means we probably have vision. Um, if we're discouraged, it probably means that there is a lack, a de deficiency of hope in our lives. And if there's a deficiency of hope, I can promise you there's probably a deficiency of vision in your heart as well. And that is a bad place for any leader to be. Um, and so that's where I just want to walk through some of these ideas tonight. So I want to talk a little bit about discouragement, um, how we battle it, and kind of what that looks like. Because it matters in your work, it matters in your family, it matters in our community, uh, whatever area you lead in, if you're discouraged, then it's gonna make a difference. Um, so the reality is that discouragement is a problem in leadership because it affects everything else. Um, discouragement ultimately will lead to despair. If we're discouraged long enough, it will cause us to despair and despair will ultimately lead to destruction. So discouragement precedes destruction in our lives. So think about it this way. Um, I've never had uh, somebody come in my office and sit on my couch and say, I'm so encouraged about my marriage and I think I'm gonna get divorced, right? They will say, my, my marriage is a mess. How could it get any better? It'll never get better. I wanna get a divorce. I've never sat with somebody who said, I'm so encouraged about my life that I think I'm gonna start abusing drugs or alcohol, Right? No, that's not how that happens. Uh, over and over and over, we see people that are discouraged. If they're discouraged long enough, in one way or another, it's gonna lead to destruction in their lives. And the same is true for us as leaders. If we're not careful, with our, whether it's our health or our marriage or relationships, um, discouragement will ultimately lead to destruction if we're not careful. So Rick Warren, who I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> um, he says that the disease of discouragement um, is universal, repeating, contagious, and deadly. So he said that in one of his books. Um, and this idea is true, uh, but it's, I think it's incomplete. So let me just walk through this idea. Discouragement is universal. Um, how many of you in this room have been discouraged in the last 60 days? And it might've been just for a minute. It might've been for a day. Yes, yes, okay. Good, everybody raise their hands. I don't have to call anybody out for being liars. We all get discouraged. Uh, I feel like I'm a very balanced person. I don't have real high highs. I don't have real low lows. I, I'm pretty good most of the time, but I have days where I feel discouraged. Um, it is universal. Every single one of us can be discouraged in our lives. Um, it's something that we all get, whether we have the most positive outlook or not. Um, when I was, gosh, years ago, um, I was at a church plant that we had helped start, and, um, and I had prayed and said, God, I feel like you're telling me to move forward back into like vocational ministry, like 
paid church ministry, but you're gonna have to show up. Like, you're gonna have to do it, you know. So the next day I went into my office, the place I worked, and I was sitting in my office and I got a phone call. And the phone call was from this very large church in Oklahoma City. And the guy that called me said, and he was a guy I'd known for a long time. And he said, hey, I've been praying about you coming on staff at our church for a while. And I felt like God told me that I should call you. This morning I got in the office and I felt like God said, call Mel. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is confirmation. Like, this is incredible. God, what are you doing? This big church wanted me to come on staff. And he said, we're only interviewing two people, but you're my guy. Like, great. And I went and interviewed and I thought we killed the interview. And I was like, great, we're going to go on this staff at this big church. It's going to be awesome. And um, a week went by, a few weeks went by, a month goes by. And finally, and I'd called my friend a couple times. He didn't return my calls. And you know where this is going. Uh, I finally got a form letter in the mail on the, their church letterhead saying, dear applicant. And I was like, what in the world? And I went from being encouraged to being discouraged just like that because I went from going, okay, God, look at what God's gonna do to then I was discouraged going, these people hate me. I'm not even qualified. I don't know why I thought, I don't know. In the, the span of you know, a few weeks. Um, and I, I didn't stay discouraged, but that was hard. Uh, I took it personally because it was like, I thought we were friends, but now I was, you were very friendly at the beginning, but now we're not as friendly. And I got a form letter and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it was this moment that I had to understand, hey, this happens to everybody. Everyone gets discouraged. And if I would allow myself to stay in that place, I would have never moved forward. Now, the funny part is uh, I was eventually, that was the church that I went on staff at years later that I was on before I came here. So I eventually, if I would have gotten hired on, the guy who actually got hired, I was his boss when I came back to that church later. So they ended up hiring me later for a better position. But if I would have gotten the position I wanted, I probably would have still been in that same position. Um, so I was grateful in hindsight that God didn't answer my prayers, but I was, I was discouraged in the moment. So the first thing is discouragement is universal. The second thing is uh, discouragement is repeating. I told our staff the other night, um, I remember when I got chicken pox when I was a kid and I was so excited to get chicken pox because I felt like it was a superpower because I got chicken pox, I'll never get chicken pox again. So my friends would get chicken pox and I'd be like, you want me to come over and check on you? I can, I can come because I've had chicken pox. But I, I was like invincible because I'd had chicken pox. And I wish discouragement was like that. I wish once we got over discouragement, we never had to go back to discouragement, right? We're immune from ever getting it again, but there is no vaccine for discouragement because it will repeat. And sometimes it'll repeat in the same day or the same week or the same month. It just, it's a cycle sometimes. Um, but discouragement is repeating. Discouragement is contagious. Discouragement is something you can get from other people. Um, and if, even as I said that, you probably are thinking of people that you can catch discouragement from in your life. Maybe it's a family member or an in-law or somebody you work with. Um, but there are people that we can catch discouragement from. And this is my encouragement for you. Um, if you had somebody in your life who had an infectious disease, um, 
and you knew I have a high probability of contracting this if I spend too much time with this person, you'd be very careful about how much time you spent with that person. But we disregard discouragement because we know these people are around and we end up spending time with them. And then we're like, oh, why do I have such a bad attitude after I spend time with them? It's because discouragement is contagious. You have caught discouragement from somebody else. Um, it is communicable. You will catch it if you're not careful. Um, there are two types of people in the world, those who tear down and those who build up. Those who tear down have the gift of discouragement. They just know how to discourage. No matter how good things are, they know how to discourage. We've got people like that in our church. I'm not gonna give you a list of them, but we have people like that in our church that I know I've gotta be careful uh, how much time I spend with them before I preach on a Sunday morning because they're always gonna have something negative to say, no matter how good things may be. Um, I, I've got people like that in my family that I know at a family reunion, I'm gonna say hi to them, but I'm not gonna camp out with them. I'm not gonna sit by them in a meal because discouragement is, uh, it's contagious. So you've got people who tear down and people who build up. And as much as we try to avoid the people who tear down, it's important for us to understand that uh, we have to put ourselves in position to be around those who build up. Um, just like I avoid those who are going to suck the life out of me, I've got to make a point to be around those that are, that are breathing life into me. So I've got friends who don't even live near us that once in a while, a couple times a year, I'll call my friend Sam Masteller. He's got the gift of encouragement. I'll call Sam and say, hey, how about if we meet up somewhere? And he, he's over in Lancaster County, so we might meet halfway, or sometimes he's in over... Um, He's over near, uh, he's in Belfont. They've got a location there. So sometimes I'll drive and meet him in Altoona or in Belfont and we'll get lunch. Just because for me, I need that encouragement. I need somebody who's gonna build me up, not just avoiding those who tear me down. So the fourth thing is this. Uh, discouragement is, is circumstantial. Um, and what I mean by that is this, it always has a cause. Discouragement is rooted in something. Something has happened to cause us to be discouraged um, and there's three main sources of discouragement. The first one is circumstances. This is, I got laid off. I didn't get the job I interviewed for. Um, the, the property taxes went up. Um, inflation, whatever it is, these are things that can discourage us if, if we're not careful. But there's circumstances in life. Maybe it's your health. Uh, but things change and you're discouraged by your circumstances. We've already talked about this. Other people can discourage you. Um, cause people say or do something that's hurtful and it's going to discourage you. Um, and, and typically some of the people that can be most discouraging in your life are some of the people that are closest to you because you put the most weight in what they have to say. So it's people you work closest with. It's your family members when they say something and maybe it's not even intentionally discouraging, but it's discouraging when somebody you love says something and you're like, whoa, I can't believe. And I was talking to somebody um, just a few days ago. They're a high level leader within their organization and there's somebody who's had a lot of success and they tell, tell me about the situation where they got some unfair criticism. And I'm like, why, like in my mind, I'm thinking, why would you care about this criticism that's out of nowhere? You've been very successful. You've achieved a lot of success in your field, in your life. But in this moment, he was saying, man, these people that I care about and love are being critical of me. And he was discouraged. And the final source of discouragement is me. 
I can discourage a bunch of you. I'm just kidding. It's, it's myself, right? Like I can discourage myself pretty easily because I'm not controlling my mindset. I'm not controlling my thought life. I immediately go somewhere and believe the worst about something when I shouldn't. Um, I am one of the common denominators in discouragement in my life. Um, and unchecked, I only make things worse. If, if I, it's easy for me to go down a steep a uh, steep decline in my own encouragement if I'm not careful. Uh, so it's universal, repeating, contagious, circumstantial, and ultimately it is deadly. Um, it kills. We just said this earlier. It destroys things in our lives. It destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. It destroys vision for leaders. If you stay discouraged, you are going to um, you're going to lose vision for your organization, for your family, whatever it may be. I was telling um, one of our team earlier that I was glad we started our Blairsville location before COVID started, because if we hadn't, I don't know if we would have done it, because I had a season during COVID where I was so discouraged by what was going on and the state of our world and some things that were going on in our church and just challenges. And, and I was glad we were already committed to it. It's like, we already said it. We've already raised money. We are going. Now we're committed. We've got to go. So here we go. Um, because it could have killed my vision pretty easily because I was discouraged for a while there. And so we've got to be careful to understand how impactful that can be in our lives. Um, so we're all going to get discouraged, but the key is that we can't stay there. So here are seven factors to raise your hope quotient. Seven factors that are going to help you um, stay hopeful and keep from becoming discouraged. So the first one is this, uh, recharge your batteries. Nobody, no, nobody does well running on empty. Have you ever talked to somebody, maybe you have employees that will say something like this, like, oh, I'm good under pressure. I'm like, well, no, you're not. It's just you delay everything till the last minute. So you don't know if you're good without pressure because all you do is work under pressure. Like I'm good at multitasking. No, you're not good at multitasking. It's just that you have to multitask because you don't do one thing very well. Anyway, um, and this is what happens when it comes to um, managing our own hearts and ourselves. We think we do well, like, oh, I do good when I'm running. I, I do good on five hours of sleep. It's no, you do not. You are lying to yourself if you think you do well on five hours of sleep. Um, physiologically, we have to have seven or eight hours. Um, now, I know that can change over time, but whenever we say, no, I'm good with this amount of sleep, or I'm good not having a day off, um, we're really messing up the rhythms of our lives. We're messing up our relationships. We're messing up our work. All these things are getting out of focus. And what happens is when I'm tired, when I'm worn out, um, it's easier for me to become discouraged. Um, it's easier for me to get myself into a bad place if I am not recharging my batteries. And it looks different for everybody what that looks like. Um, maybe it's taking some time off, going on a trip, just going for a walk at the end of your day when you get home. Whatever it is, whatever routines you have that help recharge your batteries, you need to pay attention to that. Pay attention to those rhythms. The second thing is this, raise your expectations. One of the things that happens with discouragement so many times is we lower our expectations um, and it feels safer to do that, but we have to raise our expectations. We have to start expecting more and believing for more, even though it's really hard to do. Um, one of the things he talked about in the book, he said, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you expect. 
And one of the problems is we begin expecting the worst when we're discouraged. Well, this is probably gonna go badly. Well, of course he wants to leave me. Why would he wanna be married to me? Well, of course I'm gonna get fired. Of course they're not gonna perform, of course. So we've lowered our expectations because we're discouraged. But in the middle of our discouragement, if we'll go, okay, wait a second. I'm gonna choose to raise my expectations and believe the best instead of the worst. I'm gonna look for the best instead of the worst. It will begin to shift our heart. It'll begin to shift what is produced as well. The third thing is this, focus on the future. Again, if we're discouraged, it's hard to look beyond this moment because we're focused on a feeling. We're focused on this moment. I feel bad. I feel discouraged. This person said this. This person did this. This happened in my life. I got this bad diagnosis. All I can see is this right now. Um, but if we can stay future focused, it helps it helps stave off discouragement because we see there's something beyond this moment or this day or this feeling if we stay future focused. The fourth thing is this, lean into your strengths. So one of the problems with discouragement is it brings to light what we are not. So if somebody criticizes us, if we get a bad job review, something like that, we're keenly aware of what we are not. I'm not good at this, or I'm not as good as they are at this, whatever it might be. Um, but that's where we need to really focus on what are we good at? What do we excel at? What are our strengths? And then do what you do well. Focus on what you do well and specialize in that. Um, the fifth thing is this, find the right people. Uh, Todd's sitting in the room. He runs our small groups for us. And we talk about this idea all the time. You are better with a team. You're better with a group of people than you are by yourself. A group of people will help you. The right people around you will help you stave off discouragement in your life because they're gonna bring um, a different perspective. They're, when you're feeling unhealthy, they're gonna bring a level of health to you that you lack in and of yourself. And this is part of the beauty of marriage. There are days that I might be a little discouraged that my wife is encouraged, vice versa. There are days that she's encouraged that I can go, no, baby, it's gonna be okay, we got this, right? And, and the team works well together. And so you need a team in your life. You need the right people to help you um, be supported when you feel discouraged. Number six, pay attention to seasons. Um, just understand that there are seasons in our lives. I hate, I hate the idea of balance that like, well, seek balance in your life. And it's like, there's no such thing as balance in our lives. It's just, it's just life is crazy and we gotta pay attention to when it's a little less crazy. And when it's less crazy, just be aware of that. Like lean into that and go, okay, I can take advantage of this less crazy season to take a deep breath, to go on vacation, to leave office early, whatever it might be. But it's important uh, that, that our lives aren't just running themselves, but we can step back and look and go, hey, there are seasons and there are rhythms to my life and then take advantage of the seasons. As a church, we know we're gonna be pretty busy at this time of year. Um, there's a lot going on. And so there are times that I go, hey, this is just what we do. I'm gonna work some long hours. I'm gonna have some early mornings and some late nights. Uh, but I know when the summertime rolls around, it's gonna be a little less busy for me. Now it gets busy for our kids' ministry and for our youth ministry because they're going to youth camp and they got VBS and they got all these things. But for me personally, I can go, okay, I'm coming in a little later. Um, I can leave a little earlier if I need to because that, that season changes for me. So understand the seasons of your life. Pay attention to those seasons. Number seven, guard your heart. This is the last one. So guard your heart. And this sounds like a very churchy thing to say, um, but... We have to guard our heart against the things that will kill our hope. Um, and if, if you like making lists, I've got good news. I've got another list for you. There are five things that'll kill hope in your life. Um, the first is this, bitterness and resentment. So we have to guard our heart against 
bitterness and resentment. And uh, man, I've seen so many good leaders taken out by bitterness and resentment. Now they might not lose their company or lose their organization, um, but they sacrifice what they could have been if they didn't hold on to bitterness and resentment. Well, I should have been that. I didn't get that opportunity because that person took, they took my spot or, you know, this didn't happen the way it was supposed to and it's their fault. It's easy for us to hang on to bitterness and resentment uh, and that will rob us of hope and it'll ultimately cause discouragement in our lives. The second thing is worry and anxiety. I heard a, a quote um, from Warren Wiersbe and he said this, most Christians are, cr- are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's anxiety. So a lot of Christians, we live with this tension of, man, I regret what I did in my past. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I didn't do that, whatever it might be. And we have this tension of an anxiety about tomorrow. Like, oh, what's this gonna look like? Um, and these are things, again, that'll rob us of joy, that'll rob us of hope, that'll cause discouragement in our lives when we live with perpetual worry and anxiety. Um, this kind of goes along with that, but the third one is looking back. Um, has anybody ever seen um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite? It's like a 20-year-old movie now. Uh, so Napoleon Dynamite, there's this character in the movie, his name's Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico is this failed high school athlete. And throughout the whole movie, he's talking about, you know, I could have gone pro, but my coach hated me. It's that kind of stuff. You know, I used to be able to co- throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Like he would say these kind of things. And it's like, clearly that's not true. But what's happened is he is living in the past. And what's happened is uh, he is discouraged about where he's at. He lives, I think he lives in his van. He's some sort of sales salesman, but he lives in the past and his past has robbed him of hope for the future. He's discouraged because he's thinking, man, if I could have just gotten that opportunity, I'd have gone pro. And if I'd have gone pro, my life would look different than it does today. And we can make fun of Uncle Rico, but the reality is, you know, people just like that, that they've missed opportunities. They, They perceive that life should have been, different than it is today. If, if I, this would have just happened, if I would have married that person, if this would have fallen into place, then my life would be better today. And now they're stuck in this place of discouragement because um, of what happened or didn't happen in their past. If my mom and dad would have, if my coach would have, I missed my chance because and at the end of the day, they're stuck. They're stuck in discouragement because they're busy looking back. Guilt is another one. Um, I talk to a lot of people in our setting in church that feel guilty about things from their past, things they did or didn't do, things they said. Um, you know, I talk to people all the time that, that they feel guilty even being in church because they're like, man, if you guys knew what, we, what I did, if you guys knew what I've been a part of. And they're struggling because they want to be hopeful about their future, but they have this guilt about their past. Um, and when leaders allow that to get into our heart, It'll, it'll keep us from moving forward because it robs us of vision. It robs us of hope. And ultimately, again, this uh, discouragement sets in. And then the last one, number five, is just past failures. Um, and really, my friend that I was talking to the other day, I think that was part of his thing. He was so stuck on some of his failures of the past that he didn't perform the way he would have liked to. He didn't see the results the way he would have liked to that he just thought there's no way, there's no way God could use me. There's no way I could ever 
be part of a church or lead a church or because he was so discouraged because of his past failures or his perceived failures. So these are, yeah, seven factors to raise your hope quotient, um, five hope killers, and then the uh, five different types of discouragement in our lives. So um, this one was a little more, um, a little less practical in some ways than some of our other leadership nights because I like to leave you with something that's practical that you can use, but I felt like uh, this would be something that maybe would help you personally. And if you're helped personally, then it would help your organization. So uh, let's just open it up. Let's do some Q&A and let's talk through some of these ideas if you, if you guys want. And if you don't want, we'll be done at 7.30 tonight, so. Anybody want to lead us off? This was something that we talked about a little bit earlier today, but how much does discouragement have to do with the perceived loss of agency and what can a person do to inoculate themselves against this loss of agency? Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I think a lot of the examples I shared tonight would kind of speak to that a little bit, but I think a lot of times, especially if we're looking at past failures, <clears throat> we feel like we've lost agency to be able to make our future better or different. And that's where discouragement sets in for us. Because we go, well, I have, I have, I've been a bad husband in the past. I've been a bad dad. I've been a bad leader. I've been a bad, I haven't performed the way I would have liked. Therefore, I probably won't be able to do it moving forward. And so it's not that we've lost our agency, but we forfeited our agency. Um, we still have the ability to, to make a difference, but we don't think we do. And so because of that, then we get discouraged. And we go, well, this is as good as it's going to get, I guess. I guess this is what I'm doomed to. And so we don't work on our relationships, work on our performance, work on our leadership, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I think the perceived loss of agency is huge. And helping people understand, hey, you can overcome your circumstances, that you are not a victim of your past. You're not a victim of your circumstances. You're not even a victim of yourself. Well, you are a victim of yourself. You know, but the good news is you can overcome that um, if you're willing to. And in our co context, I think everybody here goes to our church. In our context, we would say, hey, through the power of Jesus Christ, you can overcome, you know, it's not just you trying harder, but Christ in you is what empowers you to, to have agency to do better. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so just to follow up on that, yeah. if you assume maximum responsibility and you make that a habit, Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about the value of being extremely precise in evaluating the reasons for a failure and how should we handle assumptions in the wake of a failure? So just by way of illustration, imagine you had a really bad employee and that employee caused a lot of problems, which led to a big failure. And then you could, if you're the type of person who takes maximum responsibility as a habit, but you're not precise in evaluating the failures, you might look at yourself as a bad leader because of the employee that you had. But so do you see the picture I'm trying to draw yeah. here? Yeah, so I can do. you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, I think it's really important, you know, uh, what was the phrase you used? Maximum. Maximum responsibility. Maximum responsibility. It's kind of like extreme ownership. You know, this idea of everything is up to me or everything is my responsibility. I think it's good to be in that place because that's what owners do. Um, like some of you own or run companies and you understand you want all of your employees to have that level of ownership, like where 
they will take responsibility. And if we can do that in our own lives where we just go, okay, hey, I'm responsible for what happens in my life, um, I think that's a healthy place to start at. Uh, but the truth is there are still things that we can't, we can't control in our lives. Those are the circumstances of life, health diagnosis, whatever it is. Um, so understanding I am responsible, but there are still limitations to my ability. I think that's a, a big part. And so let me get back to the second part. I've already lost my train of thought. The employee who yeah, so is destructive and- Being super precise in, oh, yeah, yeah. in the post-mortem of evaluating what went wrong so that you don't blame <clears throat> yourself for a whole bunch of things that didn't actually happen. Yeah, so I think that I, I like this idea too of, of being really honest about what actually caused it. So if I can, if we can, if we can dissect our discouragement and go, why do I actually feel this way? It's really helpful because sometimes we can, we can uncover that, okay, I have an unhealthy view of myself and that's what caused me to be discouraged about this. Or I think I'm a better communicator than I am. So when somebody criticizes my communication, I don't take it well because I actually think I'm a 10 when really I'm a four. And so if we can be ruthlessly honest with ourselves about that stuff, it'll actually, I think it'll help solve some of our discouragement because then again, it'll give us, It'll give us agency to be able to go, oh, hey, I'm actually a four in my communication, but I could be a five if I work on it instead of just going, well, people hate me. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, those dum-dums, they think I'm bad, but I'm really good. So if we can be like ruthlessly honest about that, like in a postmortem, like you said, like, okay, why am I discouraged right now? Why am I actually discouraged? Um, I think a lot of times we'll find that we're discouraged for no reason. That sounds really hard to say. Um, but again, it's liberating because it goes, oh, well, hey, I'm discouraged about this, but there's hope because I don't have to be discouraged about this. Yeah, last, It feels like a long way around that. But. Last follow-up to that. Who do you surround yourself with in order to achieve that process of effective post-mortem? Like, you've talked before about the people that you, the different offices of mentorship that you have with people, but can yeah. you talk to people a little bit about the kinds of people you like to surround yourself with in order to do that well? Um, so I like, I personally like people who will, <laughs> I mean, sounds silly to say this, but I like people who are like me to some degree because I feel like I, I, I can be direct with someone, but I can, be, I can be honest with them, but loving with them as well. So I can tell you, hey, you need to get better at this, but... Uh, here's what I love about you. Here's what, and so I want people that are gonna speak truth to me. I don't need sycophants in my life. I don't need people that are just like, you're so good. Nobody's as good as you are. That's why I got my mom. My mom can do that. Mom, you're watching right now, I'm sure. I love you, mama. Um, but, so I don't need that. But what I need is somebody to go, hey, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, that, there might be some truth there, but you're going to be okay. Hey, you're doing a great job. And so we need people that are going to encourage us and help us see truth um, and help us get better. And so, yeah, I've got some peers like that in my life. Um, there are a couple guys in the region that I do that with, and there's some other guys in a little further out that I do that with. Uh, I run a lot of things by my mentors, my spiritual father, my mentor, John Nuzo, try to spend time with them and try to be honest with them about where I'm at and some of the struggles I'm dealing with and so that they can pat me on the back or kick my rear, whatever I need. And sometimes it's both. They pat me on the back while they're kicking my rear. So it's very difficult physically. Good question. 
discouragement, hope. Any other thoughts or questions or comment you made earlier about yeah. uh, uh, setting your expectations high, yeah, which is kind of the opposite of what we end up doing, yeah, or I end up doing, keep my expectations low, and I'm not, you know, the joke is then you're not disappointed. You're never disappointed, yeah. right. So that's a, that's a big challenge to set expectations high, not only for myself, but for others. So I don't know if that's a question, but just a comment about it. Yeah, no, and, and it's, you're 100% accurate on that, and here's what I've seen. Um, in lots of different settings, when the senior leader, the boss, the owner, the manager, whoever is in charge, has low expectations of their staff, um, the senior leader ends up doing more than they should be doing because they either don't trust their staff, because then they've lowered the expectations because they go, well, this is all you can do. This is all you can handle. So this is all. And now, now the senior leader is going to be overworked. They're going to be doing more than they should. And again, the cycle is the senior leader is going to get frustrated because I don't have any help. These people aren't pulling their weight. Now I'm working longer hours. And so what happens is it's this cycle of now we're not recharging our batteries. We're not paying attention to seasons. We're, and now we're in this bad cycle of, oh, okay, I don't have any help. I'm worn out. I'm stressed. Uh, and discouragement sets in. And so it, it, to me, it's actually better when we go, hey, I'm going to raise the standard and I know you're going to miss it sometimes but I'm gonna call you to a higher place. Because inevitably what happens when we raise the standard um, and the expectations for our team is that they will either meet it or leave. And that sounds ruthless to say it that way, but either way, you're better off. Because if they can't meet the standard that you've raised, that's reasonable. You know, you obviously, you're not like, hey, you're a $10,000 a month salesperson. I expect you to sell $100,000 a month. Well, they're just going to be like, I can't do that. I'm leaving. And well, it's like, well, your expectations were wrong. So when we have appropriate expectations for our team, where we are raising the expectation for them and for ourselves, um, then it's going to call them to a higher place where they go, okay, let's go. And then the people that don't feel like they can do it, they're like, this is ridiculous. You don't want them around anyway. Does that make sense? And it's hard, but honest, really, we were talking about this. I was talking about this with some of our staff this week. This last series we've done in First Peter, it's some really hard stuff. Like, um, like I'm preaching really hard things to people, and people are like, this is really good. Like, I needed to hear this. And it's because I think fundamentally we want to be challenged but we just get really comfortable being unchallenged. And so when somebody challenges us, it's like, oh, like something resonates in our soul. Like, oh, this is good. So I think even in your workplace, when you go, okay, guys, we want to be better. Here's why we want to be better. Uh, here's how it makes a difference. And so I need more from you. Here's what our expectations are. I, for some people, it's going to be a rallying cry. Like, all right, let's go. And again, for those that it's not, great. Then we probably didn't need you around. Again, that sounds really ruthless to say, but yeah. <laughs> I just imagine you going in tomorrow and then like a third of your staff, you're like, you're all gone. <laughs> oh, she's the hatchet man. That's good. That's good. <laughs> what else? Do we have anybody asking questions online tonight? Okay, we looked. If you're online and you want to ask a question, ask a question. 
Can you talk a little bit about the role of memory when it comes to discouragement? Like you mentioned not living in the past, but at the same time, I think that there's some merit in memorializing success so that you can use that success to protect you against future discouragement, or at the very least, like in a Christian context, what we would say is we've seen God show up before, so we know he'll show up in the future, you know, even if the situation seems desperate. Um, Why is it so hard for us to remember those things whenever the next storm comes? Um, Hmm. So, I mean, this is, this truth is self-evident to all of us. Because if I asked you, um, tell me the last thing your boss said to you that was negative, you'd probably be able to come up with something. You know, you'd remember like, hey, what was something your parents said to you one time that was negative? You'd probably be able to remember that because we remember the negative stuff. We remember the bad stuff. Um, but if I asked you to do the same thing with a good, hey, tell me the best thing your dad ever said to you, you might struggle a little bit. And I know for me, like the negative criticism I hear sticks with me. Um, like it's hard for me to eject that from my memory. And that's just the way we're wired. And this is one of the reasons even in like the Old Testament, uh, the, the nation of Israel, they didn't have to make memorials to bad things that happened because they remembered the bad things that happened but they had to make memorials for the good things that happened. Like when they crossed uh, the Jordan into the promised land and Joshua was like, okay, we're building, a, we're building a memorial right here. And the reason we're building the memorial is because someday you're gonna walk by it and you're gonna have to tell your kids, oh yeah, God did a miracle, right? Because we forget good stuff. Um, and so I'm sure there's something from a psychological basis on positive and negative stimuli in our lives and things like that. But I just think fundamentally we just we stink at remembering the good stuff. And so we have to train ourselves to remember like, oh yeah, like I should be hopeful because I've had success with this in the past or okay, I've hired a couple of bad employees, but I know I've had some ringers in the past that were awesome. I got to remember that. And uh, so I think we just, good leaders have to train that muscle to just remember the good stuff when they need to. It's just hard. Do you try to take an inventory of how far you've come? in a given context? Like if it seems like you're not moving forward or you're not getting any closer towards a goal, try to look back and see how far you've come and that despite setbacks, the overall yeah, I think progress good, is upward. Yeah, I think good organizations will probably have some of that stuff built in, whether it's an annual review or a semi-annual review or whatever it is. Um, even as a church organizationally, like we do our year in review. So January, February, every year, we review everything from the previous year. And so even if we don't do anything else as an organization, we can look at that and go, okay, we've done better. Because every year I do that, where we will prep that. And I'm like, oh, wow, we did a lot better than I thought we did. Because we don't notice growth or development incrementally. We only look at, we only see it when we step back. And this is like my grandma my mom's mom, my mom grew up in the St. Louis area. And so we only saw her family like once a year. And so when we go see her family, my grandma would be like, oh my gosh, you've grown so much. I'm like, no, I have not. Like, I haven't grown hardly at all. But to her, I had, she stepped away from the incremental. I just saw the incremental. Um, and so there are times that maybe your organization is different where you need to set aside sometimes to be able to step back and go, oh, we're actually making better progress than I think we are. Because in the incremental, we can get buried in discouragement when it's like, God, I thought we'd be further along. I even have this conversation with couples that maybe are struggling in their marriage. Um, as we have ongoing conversations, 
Um, and maybe one of the spouses is like, you know, I might be talking to the husband and he's like, oh, man, we had this moment or this, we're struggling with this or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, step back. Are you better than you were six months ago? Well, yeah. I'm like, okay. Are you better than you were a year ago? Yeah, for sure. Okay. You know, like, let's, let's take a look at this. And so I think it's important for us to do that. I think a lot of organizations do it naturally or a little more organically. But for leaders, I think, yeah, it's important for us to be able to, it'll help us battle discouragement if we can go, oh, we are actually are making progress toward whatever our goal is or the vision. So sorry, I didn't mean to preach on that one. Anyone else? How do you handle someone? Michael can go all night, so I'm just saying. <laughs> That's right. Um, how do you handle someone in your life who is discouraging, but they don't know that they're discouraging and you can't just get rid of them, like, you know, or not kill them, strong, strong words, bury them um, in the pasture. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so, um, it depends on who they are and what the relationship is. Like I've had friends that were just in a funk season, you know, like they were in a, in a discouraging season and I've tried to call them out in love and go, Hey man, like I'm concerned about your heart. What's driving this behavior? What's driving this language? You know, like, why are you where you are? And that's always better than you're being a jerk. Um, and then there's some people that you're just like, okay, I'm going to avoid you. I'm just not going to be around you. Um, and, but it depends on who they are. So I think it's different for every situation because you might be in an office where you're sitting in a cubicle with somebody who is that discouragement. And it's like, you can't get away from them. Like, okay, you can't fire them. You can't tell them to leave. You know, like you're going to be stuck with them 40 hours a week for the rest of your life. And so that's where maybe you have a conversation. Um, maybe you talk about it. Uh, you know, I think it's different for every situation though. It's a little easier when it's an employee, you know, then you can talk about culture. You can talk about what they're setting into motion, some of those kind of things. But yeah, I think it's really hard depending on the circumstance. And if you work for these guys, they'll just fire you. So apparently, <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. That's why I didn't say the name. I didn't want anybody watching online to, yeah, no worries. I know we try to keep leadership night readily accessible for people who are leading in a secular context, but what parts of your faith are most instrumental in protecting you against discouragement? Ooh, that's a good question. I'll open that up to you guys too. I would love to hear what some of you have to say. What are the, ask the question again, Michael, the parts of our faith that are the most instrumental in yeah, what parts of your faith are most instrumental in protecting you against encouragement? Hmm. Or discouragement, sorry. I knew what you meant. I think the easy answer is faith. There's more to it than that, but let me just open it up. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Parts of your Christian faith that help stave off discouragement. I don't know if it's uh, faith, but I try to keep an eye on the big picture not mm-hmm. get bogged down on little details, mm-hmm. whether what it might be day-to-day stuff. You yeah. got to look at the big picture and where's the organization going as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think the higher you are up on the flow chart, the more important that is to do, um, to not get bogged down in the weeds. And mm, yeah, as far as my faith goes, I think it has to be anchored back to Christ to some degree or another as far as well, I mean, even this weekend, we got Easter this weekend, right? And we're talking about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. And the hope we have in Christ 
is that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter how discouraged we may be, if we're in Christ, then we have hope. Um, and so I think that's, that kind of perspective helps us because again, it gets us out of the moment. It gets us out of, this is all my life will ever be, right? Like this moment with this criticism, this, whatever it is, this feeling. Um, so I think probably that part for me. Any other thoughts on that? That's a good question. That's deep, man. For me, it's the sovereignty of God, trusting in the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard in bad situations too, to go, oh, I just got fired, but God's sovereign. Like, oh. And maybe it's not enough to say he's sovereign, but that he's sovereign and good. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to be sovereign, but it's another thing to trust his nature as well, to go, not only is he sovereign, he's all powerful, but he's also good. Like I, he can be trusted. Um, so yeah, that's good though. We do have a question online. Who is it? From Zach's mom, 1701. Zach's mom, one, what was it? 1701. 1701. Oh no, I don't know that one. I know Zach's mom, 5707, but I don't know. I'm just kidding. The question is, any suggestions how to encourage someone who is feeling overwhelmed? How to encourage someone who's feeling overwhelmed. I think um, what we talked about earlier would probably be helpful to be able to diagnose and go, okay, why do I feel overwhelmed? And try to look at it objectively and go, okay, I feel overwhelmed because I got this health diagnosis. And um, when I was a kid, my mom used to say, always imagine what's the worst thing that could happen because she was... She was worst case scenario person. And as I got older, that actually helped me because as I really did think about like, what is, what is the worst case scenario here? Um, it really was liberating for me in a lot of ways instead of restricting. And so I think if we can really be honest about situations, like when we feel overwhelmed and go, okay, what is the worst thing that's gonna happen realistically? Um, then a lot of times it'll help diffuse, diffuse the moment of its power where it's like, okay, um, well, if this is all it is, then I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. Um, and it might be painful. It, it, it might hurt, but I'm going to be able to make it through this. Um, I, I might have told the story before. In my last church, it was a very big church. And um, the first weekend I was on the platform, like I just was on the platform and hey, and I did the announcements and I did the stuff and whatever and walked off and one of the staff said the next day that she said, you didn't seem nervous at all. And I was like, well, I wasn't really nervous. And she said, well, how were you not nervous? And I said, cause I just imagined what's the worst thing that's gonna happen. And I said, the worst thing that would happen is I would do the announcements and I would walk off the stage and the pastor would say, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. You're an embarrassment to organization. Clean your stuff out and get out. Now I never wanna see you again. Like that's the worst case scenario, right? And I said, if that's what he did, I'd go get another job. Like, I'd be okay. That would stink. I would hate that. But like, I would figure something else out. And so I, I really do feel like when we, when we can ask ourselves, what's the worst thing that's going to happen in this? Man, I got this horrible health diagnosis. Man, my spouse just told me they, they want a divorce. Like, those are horrible things. But what is the worst thing that's going to happen? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to survive this. I'm going to get through. I might be bloodied and beaten and all the stuff on the other side of it, but I'm going to get through this. So that's probably what I would do. Does anybody else have any thoughts on that? When you, advice for when you feel overwhelmed? 
Yeah, we got one over here. Hold on, let me run the mic over so they can hear you online. Um, I can just agree with that with my kids especially. Yeah. Whenever they're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or the anxiety starts hitting, just reminding them like the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. And then that definitely downplays everything they're stressing over. Yeah. And then we can, it kind of makes them a lot of, it allows them to open up and actually talk through whatever's going on to help them work through it then. Yeah. It's funny. I've got a niece who's, uh, I guess she's 30. And she's got a, a three-year-old little boy. And their rule for him is basically, I mean, they don't want him destroying things, but their, their basic rule is if, it, if he doesn't have to go to the ER, we're fine. Like that's their standard. So it's like, if he's jumping off of stuff, we're not gonna get stressed out about it. Like, you know, and so I think that's, that's liberating as well just to go, okay, there's stuff I can't control and I'm not gonna freak out about everything. And anyway, that's good though. Anything else, Michael? Do we have there's any other a, questions online? A question online. Um, how can we be more encouraging to you? That's from Linda Hall. I was waiting for somebody to ask, you people. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, good question, Linda. Um, okay. Hey, let me find this. My friend, I've got a friend who pastors one of the biggest churches in America. And um, let me find it. He posted, he posted this on Instagram just this week. Uh, so let me find it. His name is Josh Howerton. And Josh pastors a very large church in Dallas, Texas. And uh, here's what he said. He said, oop, let me back up. There it is. He said, four things your pastor is desperate for you to do this Easter weekend. And he said, number one, uh, sit in the front middle of the room, worship passionately and respond to your pastor's preaching. And he said, 10 people like that can change the atmosphere of a whole room, lift hearts heavenward. So sit in the middle. Good job, you people here. Um, Worship passionately and respond to the pastor's preaching. Number two, he said, look for people who seem new and warmly greet them and ask them if they wanna sit with you. Um, that's huge. I love when I see people do that. Number three, he says, as you arrive, begin praying for the presence of God to fall on the service. Um, again, that's huge. And then number four, he said, invite people. Studies show 80% of Americans would say yes if invited by a friend to an Easter service. Um, and then he said a bonus is, he says, we'll love you even more if you silence your phone, go to the bathroom before service instead of during service and wait until the end to leave rather than during the last song. So I would agree with all those. So that, was, that would be how you can encourage me. Uh, I don't need a letter or a note. That's fine, a Facebook message, whatever. But if, if our church would do those things, oh, oh, that would make me happy. So that's good. Is there anything else? We don't have to go to eight although Michael's going to try. Anything else? Okay. Oh, at the buzzer. Sorry. It's okay. It's all wanting to leave. Um, just something that I do personally for my job, whenever I start feeling discouraged and yeah. like I need to change and maybe I need a new job, maybe I need something mm-hmm. different. I actively then get myself into a project. So I build something like most mm-hmm. recently about three months ago, I was starting to feel discouraged. Like maybe this isn't the path I need to be on. Maybe I need a whole new job, career, career change, mm-hmm. um, which of course I wasn't going to do, but I then created this whole training thing at my store. So it then got me excited about my job again. Yeah. And then the associates I have that were discouraged, it got them excited also. So that's, an, that's something that I try. So is there anything yeah. else that you would suggest? No, I mean, it? what you're doing though, is you're giving yourself vision. 
you know, and by giving yourself a project, you're saying, okay, um, here's a chosen future. Like, I want to see this happen. And so you're not making a vision board or, you know, but you're, you're saying, I don't want things to stay the same way. I want, I want to see something different. Um, so no, that's huge. And I think that, that advice could probably be applicable in your family if you're discouraged about something with your family. Okay, how about a project with your family? Um, in your marriage, and relationships, I think there's lots of application to that. So I think that's really good. Yeah, good word. Okay. If there's no one else. Well, I'll pray. And then uh, cut you guys loose. Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you for... These folks that are here, those that are watching online and, uh, and listening online, I just pray your blessing on all of them. God, I pray that especially as we go into this Easter weekend, God, you be glorified through us, through our leadership. God, I pray that we would lead like you lead. So Jesus, give us your heart, give us your eyes, give us your ears, help us to, to treat people the way you do, help us to lead people the way you would. I pray that you be glorified through us and I pray that um, our leadership would reflect your heart. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Guys, I love you. Appreciate you. I'll stick around a little bit. If you guys want to talk, I would encourage you. Connect with some people that are here. If you don't know them, uh, say hello. There's some good leaders in this room right now. So go connect with them and say hi before you go. Love you guys. God bless you. Have an awesome week. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.